you may be seated. Praise the Lord. What a precious time of worship. That is but one reason why we do not forsake gathering together. Uh, Welcome, welcome, loved ones, to worship this evening. For those of you watching online, I want to extend a special welcome to you as well. Uh, We would love to see you soon. And we pray that that would happen very soon. And for those of you who may be checking us out online and haven't yet visited, uh, we want to extend an invitation to you to come and to, to be a part of the work of the Lord here at Hope. We look forward to meeting you. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40 tonight. Acts chapter 8. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, our ushers are coming forward right now. Put your hand up nice and high because we want to put a copy of God's Word in your lap. You're going to need it tonight. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, and it's on page 534 of those Bibles being handed out to you. Page 534. Well, here we are continuing on our next message in our series through the book of Acts. This is part two. We did part one last year. This is part two of the book of Acts, chapters 8 to 12. And the title of this series is Strong and Courageous in Witness. Now, we have to lock this in. I hope you have this memorized by now, loved ones. What is a witness? What does God say a witness for Jesus Christ is? Right here. One who testifies to the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we're writing that down and locking it in. A witness is one who testifies, who proclaims the truth of Jesus Christ on their lips and in their life. They are unafraid. They believe in the truth of the gospel. They believe in the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ so much they are willing to lay their lives on the line to see it proclaimed. So why? So that others may, say it, live. So that others may live. We just celebrated and remembered the person and work of Christ who did exactly that. And we are charged, commissioned by him to carry on his ministry now. All right, got the main theme of the book. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever heard that phrase, loved ones? You ever heard this phrase? Uh, That was an act of God. Or, you know, let's bring it into the 21st century. That's a God thing. That's a God thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are older, maybe in the 30 plus crowd. You're like, yeah, I get that. That's a God thing. Anyone heard that before? It's a God thing? Yeah, it's a God thing. Oh, the weather on my vacation. Oh, that was just a God thing. Like I went to Florida. There were no hurricanes. There was no rain. It was like 90 degrees, not too hot. I wasn't cooking on the pavement. Oh, that was a God thing. The timing of your phone call? Oh, yes, it was just that right word in season. Oh, that was an act of God. Right word, right moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sound familiar? Here's another one, here's another one. Well, that thing, that thing that I thought I wanted so bad and I was trying to work so hard for, but I didn't get it, and then all of a sudden I realized it was good that I didn't get it. It was such a God thing. You ever been there? And even though that expression honestly, is often misused. Um, Here's what we're talking about when we say it's a God thing. We're talking about something that involved divine intervention. Divine intervention. What we're talking about is God's sovereignty. 
God's sovereignty. You're like, that's a big word. What does that mean? Hey, hope youth, students, write this down. This is really important. God's sovereignty, you'll see it on the screen. Systematic theologian Wayne Grudem, he defines it this way, and it's, it's very good. Uh, God's exercise of power over his creation. This is God's sovereignty. It's a big word, and it means God's exercise of power over his creation. It means, it is the means which ensures that God will give all that's needed to accomplish his purpose. It is the fact, God's sovereignty is the fact that God has all the power to do all his will, and he's working it out. Say, he's working it out. God has all the power to do all his will, and he's working it out. And he ensures that he will give us all that is needed to accomplish his purpose, which is our mission to be his witnesses. This is good news. Is anyone else encouraged by that truth? That God is sovereign? That's good news for us. But here's the problem that we face every day, many moments a day. And it is this, unbelief. You say, wait a second, unbelief was my problem last week. Yes, it was. And it was mine too. And guess what? It's going to be our problem next week. Here's the reality. The battle of unbelief is the greatest battle we face. For the non-Christian, the battle of unbelief is, do I really believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only Savior of this world? Do I really believe that I'm headed for hell without repentance of my sin and confession of him as Lord. That's the battle of unbelief going on right there. But what about this world looks so good, it's so good to live for. For the Christian, the battle of unbelief is, do I believe Jesus really is who he says he is? Do I really believe that all 3,000 plus promises in God's word will happen? That I can stand on them? That he won't drop the ball? Welcome to the battle of unbelief. And the same is true in our witness. Why? Well, quite simply, we often don't trust in the sovereignty of God in our witness. That our, we don't trust that our witness is actually, get this, I just love this. Talk about some witness fuel tonight, huh? We don't actually trust that our witness is being guided by God. Wow. That changes everything. That our witness is being guided by, it wasn't like God made us and then gave us this commission. It's like, okay, see you later, figure it out. Uh -uh. Our witness is actually being guided by God. But often we don't trust in his sovereignty, that he's orchestrating it and he will give in his providence, in his sovereignty, all that's needed. And what's the result of our unbelief? You say, you say, I don't know, do I struggle with unbelief? Here's the result. A compromised witness. Here's one. Ever struggle with this one? Fear instead of faith in witness opportunities. Anyone ever been afraid to witness and backed off? That's an unbelief in the sovereignty of God. Here's another one anxiety in our witness instead of confidence in the Lord. Here's another one. Apathy in our witness instead of urgency 
to declare the person and work of Christ. Anyone ever been apathetic? Like, oh, I don't want to share this. I don't need to share the gospel this way. Ah, see that person again and again. Ah. It's an unbelief in the sovereignty of God that he's divinely appointed that. Here's another one. Distracted instead of focused on the mission. We live distracted. We live for ourselves. We live for the things of this world, things that don't matter most. That's an unbelief in the sovereignty of God. Here's another one. Dependence on self in our witness and not on the Lord. Everyone's, anyone ever struggle with this? I have in the past. I just got to say the right thing. I just have to have all the right words to convince. You know what that is? Unbelief in the sovereignty of God. We're in the battle, loved ones. And I want to encourage us. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Why? Because we have a sovereign guide in our witness. God's sovereignty is such a gift. And here's what we need to be encouraged by. The big idea for our text, write this down and remember it. Read it again and again and again. God is sovereign and will guide our witness, but we must trust him. There it is. God is sovereign and will guide our witness, but we must trust him. We have to trust him. And here in our context, the floodgates, if you recall, chapter 8, the floodgates of persecution have opened against the church in Jerusalem. And most of the church, except the apostles, they have scattered by God's sovereignty to the regions of Judea and Samaria. To the regions of Judea and Samaria. You will see a map picture there. So Jerusalem is circled in green. That's where it all started. Then the persecution floodgates opened, led by Saul. We'll get more to Saul next week. Don't miss next week. And they scatter to Judea and Samaria. And what's the result? (laughs) The very thing the enemy's trying to use to crush the church What happens? The church explodes. There's a spiritual awakening in Samaria. Darkness is overcome with light. Demons are cast out. There's healings. There's baptisms. Oh, yeah. And there's the whole Samaritan Pentecost that happens where the Samaritans are filled with the Holy Spirit. How's the stopping of the church going? Why? Because God's sovereign. He said he's going to build it. He's going to do it. Everyone say he's going to do it. Lord, increase our faith. Amen. I believe, but help my unbelief. He's going to do it. And so the focus of chapter 8 so far has been on one of the missionaries named Philip, who is a leader in the early church. And here in verses 26 to 40, we pick up the next stage of his ministry where God calls him out of Samaria and he expands Philip's ministry to the southern part of Israel. You'll see it there called Judea. Why? Because God's, Jesus is fulfilling his promise. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, started in the middle, and then You got Samaria at the top. Okay, we hit Samaria. Now we're going to Judea. And next is to the ends of the earth. You can't stop them. So he's going to Judea now. And here in our text, we we see three acts of God's sovereignty in our witness that loved ones we must trust him for. And three responses we must have to those acts by faith. 
Three responses by faith. If we are to stay faithful in our witness, see the salvation of the lost, and see Jesus build his church for his glory. Welcome back to the school of witness. Ready to go? Let's stand honor the authority of God's word. Acts chapter 8. We're going to start reading verses 26, and we're going to go to the end of verse 31. Acts 8, 26 to 31. Let's go. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of this scripture, he was reading, let's just read it. This is so good. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. Hear the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. All right, let's go. Let's gear up. Here we go. In our witness, first thing we see right here, 26 to 31, we must trust the Lord for gospel opportunities. So again, like the outline last week, here's the imperative. This is what's true. We must trust the Lord based on his sovereignty for gospel opportunities. Now, what is the imperative? What is the command for us? Here it is. We must be ready. We must be ready for them. So we trust him for the gospel opportunities, and that means we have to be ready for them. God gives divine appointments. Do you believe that? God gives divine appointments. There's no random with God. Just look at Genesis chapter 1 to 3. There's no random with God. God gives divine appointments, but here's the question facing you and I. Do you have an open heart for the open door? Do you have an open heart for the open door. See, in 26 to 31, did you notice this? God, in his sovereignty, appoints the plan and the place for Philip. Did you get it? The plan and the place. Verse 26, what does he do? Like, this is amazing. It's almost like a side note in the text in verse 26. This is incredible. It says, oh yeah. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, just having a conversation, God sends an angel, a messenger, so, and it's just like a side of just an angel, just chatting it up with Philip. What? That's awesome. So he sends an angel, the messenger to Samaria, to tell Philip to rise and go south on the road to Gaza. There's Gaza. Has anyone heard of Gaza lately? You think it's God's sovereignty we're in this text on this day? To Gaza, you see it there, Judea. It's one of five major Philistine cities, and you notice the text, it says, end of 26, this is a desert place, a desert place. Full stop, we're not going to get 
we don't want to deviate from the authority of God's word and his intended meaning for this text, but I think out of shepherding and wanting to be a faithful shepherd for this church, I think it's definitely worth mentioning. Do you think the Lord is still sovereign over Gaza? Because if you do, and you believe that, that will impact how you process and petition him for what's going on right now. Do you believe truly the Lord is still sovereign over Gaza? Over Israel? Extend it. Over Ukraine? Over Russia? And whatever other issues facing us here at home. It's heart check time. It's faith check time. Do do you think that his work can be stopped in any way by the enemy in Gaza? Let's drill down. Do you think any purpose of his can be thwarted in any way in Gaza, in Israel, around this world? Here's the question facing us. Do your prayers and attitude reflect this truth? Or are we joining the masses in anger and lashing out and division and destruction in our unbelief? Picking sides. Or are we petitioning the only perfect one? who promises, Psalm 103.6, to work perfect righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. What's your life showing? Some of us, it's time to repent. And start to petition the Lord based on the truth of his word. This is why, hey, 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 little plug here. This Wednesday night, our prayer night... It's coming right from Psalm 67. So many Christians wondering today, how, how can we be faithful in this moment? What does faithfulness look like for crying out to the Lord? How do we pray? How do we pray to the Lord about what's going on? How do we join him in his plan and purpose for his glory in amidst devastation? And it is right to grieve. Trusting in God's sovereignty doesn't mean we don't grieve the fallen world that we live in and the destruction and death and devastation that's there, loved ones. We're human too. Do you feel it? I feel it. Maybe you know people who are impacted. I know people who are impacted by that. And it's right to grieve, but remember, it is also right to stand in hope. Because we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is able to do more than we could ask for or imagine and none of his purposes will be thwarted. He is still ruling and reigning on the throne. Why? Why is things happening like that? I don't know. But I know that he's good 
And I know that he's sovereign. And I know that he's working it and will work for his glory. Will we join him on his mandate? That's what prayer night is all about on Wednesday. Fill this place. He's given us the blueprint. And we want to be faithful to care for this flock and to disciple each one of us in how we are to be interceding according to God's word. Make that a priority. We see here that Gaza is a desert place. The word desert there means it's uninhabited, it is desolate, it is remote. Okay, put the, there's the picture of the road to Gaza right there. Looks pretty remote, doesn't it? Looks pretty remote. There's no oases or anything there. It's dust and rock. And you might think about that. Philip, notice, angel says to Philip, I want you to leave everything that's going on in Samaria. The spiritual awakening. Everyone's listening to you. The masses are coming. Hey, guess what, Philip? I'm taking you out of that. And I'm bringing you into the wasteland. What? God calls Philip away from the success of Samaria into an uninhabited wasteland, which seemed like, look at the picture. This seemed like the most unlikely place for God to work. He's working up in Samaria. This is trees and dust. Hey, maybe that's you. Maybe you're feeling like this about where God has you. You feel in the desert place. It feels like a spiritual wasteland. Well, I, maybe, maybe some of you were like, well, I was serving in this way before, and now I'm just, it feels like God just put me off in the desert and the side. Maybe some of you in your workplaces, you're like, I just don't see how God's working. I just, that, these people just, they're so hostile. Hey, can I just encourage you, Hope? Oftentimes, God does some of his greatest work in the desert. I'm going to say it again. Let's not be clinging to platforms of past success. You say, well, I was doing that, and, but I'm over here on the side. God hasn't put you on the side. He's put you in the desert, and that's where he often does his greatest work. Philip's about to find that out in full. Notice Philip's response in verse 27. Hey, Philip, I'm going to remove your platform. I'm going to take it out. The masses aren't going to be coming to you anymore. And look at Philip. And he arose and went. See what that means? Open door <laughs> meets an open heart. That's explosive for the kingdom. An open door meets an open heart. Philip said, I'm willing to let all that stuff go. All the fame, I'm willing to let it go because you're calling me here and I'll go. I'm going to the wasteland. Because he trusts in the sovereignty of God. Now recall this. Here's to, make, to add something on here. The Philistines were the enemies of Israel. So he's gone to one enemy group, Samaria. Saw the gospel unite them. Now God's sending him over to the other enemies, the Philistines. And yet Philip's not willing to cling to the ministry platforms. He's not willing to cling to the success. He's not willing to grumble, complain. He's willing to be put at the back where no one sees him but God. How about you? How about you? Are we grumbling, complaining? Why, why is Philip so willing to do this? Because his heart is open to the Lord and to be faithful wherever the Lord opened the door for him. And notice, God appoints the plan and the place, but also notice verse 27, God appoints the person. Philip just happens, quote unquote, Philip just happens to meet a eunuch driving by on this road in his chariot at the exact spot he's walking in. It just happens. Now, a eunuch, who's this eunuch? 
He's a big deal. He's a court official. He's actually the royal treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. Now, Ethiopia back then, in first century, wasn't the same as Ethiopia now. This is modern-day Sudan. And this eunuch is a God-fearer, and he's coming back from worshiping the temple. You see that in the text. And it's one of the major pilgrimage festivals. And so this eunuch was possibly a Jewish convert, a proselyte, or he was actually part Jewish. And notice this, this eunuch just happens to be reading out loud, which was a common practice back then. He happens to be reading the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, which is one of the greatest Christ-centered texts in all of the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 is actually called the gospel of the Old Testament out of all the chapters. He just happens to be on this one. Mm Mm-hmm. And then in verses 29 to 31, the Holy Spirit, oh, this, just tells Philip, go over and join him in the chariot. Why? Because God has also appointed not just the plan and the place and the person, he appoints the need. See it in verses 30 and 31? The eunuch, what was the problem? The eunuch's struggling. He couldn't understand what he was reading and he needed help. And what did he do? Invited Philip, come on up. Come on up into my chariot. And Philip, with an open heart, went in, and he was ready to respond. He's got an open door. Meet open heart. See, live in the text. God appointed the plan, place, person, and need, and he still does today. He still does today. And you and I, under the sovereignty of God, loved ones, be encouraged, have divinely appointed gospel opportunities at our doorstep every day. Every day divinely appointed in our families, in our neighborhoods, when you're getting the mail, when you're walking the dog, on our sports teams, when you're at work, students in the classroom. The question isn't, will God give those opportunities? The question is, will we trust him and be ready and go after them? Or will we live our lives as the way the rest of this world does? So focused on ourselves, so focused on our schedules, heads down, can't get bumped off my schedule, my time. God very rarely works on our schedule. Did you notice that? Grumbling when God opens the door that we didn't want, instead of looking at it as an opportunity, we just settle for an interruption, don't we, most of the time? See, God gives divine appointments. Loved ones, do you have an open heart for the open door? So often the doors are open, but our hearts are not. Let's be honest. We close them in fear. What do I say? I'm going to step up. What will happen with that relationship? I don't know. We close them in fear. We close them in anxiety. We close them in apathy. We close them in busyness and distraction in our schedule, wanting our comfort, wanting our convenience. When God doesn't give us the platform we want, we close off. Well, I'm not going to serve here because this is behind the scenes. I want to be up front. Really? Really? Open heart, meet open door? Maybe? And then we complain when we don't get the wanted me time. When we schedule it and God somehow interrupts it with an opportunity. See, God is opening doors and he's looking for open hearts, hope. And as one commentator said, he will direct us, but we must be willing to obey. Are you? Look at the example of Philip right here. In our witness, we must trust the Lord for gospel opportunities. Be ready. Be ready. They're right there. Be ready. And as we take the opportunities, we must trust the Lord in those opportunities for what? Gospel conversations. What does this mean? 
We need to be intentional in those conversations. Be intentional. God prepares the heart to hear. I'll say it again. God prepares the heart to hear. Question, loved ones, will you get to the gospel? In that conversation, will you and I get to the gospel? Look at verses 32 to 35. This goes on. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading just happened, my addition there, just happened to be this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus, gospel intentionality. Recall, this eunuch happened to be reading Isaiah 53. This is verses seven and eight right here from the Old Testament. In verses 34 to 35, he asked Philip who this passage is speaking of. And Philip, with an open heart, he's gospel ready, doesn't waste any time. You notice Philip doesn't go by, what's the eunuch going to think of me? And this chariot ride could get really awkward if I share the gospel. He doesn't waste a second. Open door. He saw it. His heart was ready. He knew the Lord was in it. And he starts intentionally telling the eunuch the good news of the gospel, starting from Isaiah 53, right where the guy was at. That's a good idea. Right where this guy is at. (laughs) And I imagine Philip's proclamation would go something like this from verse 32. He describes Jesus as a sheep, the lamb, who was sacrificed to pay the penalty for our sin. See the picture here from verse 7, Isaiah 53, verse 7, which is 32 here. In the Old Testament, the priest would sacrifice a spotless lamb without blemishes or any deformities at Passover to atone or to appease, to cover the sin of each person who brought it. And see, God's holiness, he is a holy God, and his holiness demanded a sacrifice for sin. And the blood of the lamb would cover them and atone for that sin. And now Jesus, as we see in John 129, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No more repeated sacrifices of lambs over and over. Can you hear it in the chariot? Just picture it. No more sacrifice over and over and over. Now there's a once for all sacrifice whose blood was shed and the death satisfied the wrath of God against sin. How did Jesus do this? Verse 33 Now remember, this is from the Old Testament. It all points to Jesus. And the New Testament reveals him. Verse verse 33, Isaiah 53, 8. How did this happen? By Jesus humbling himself. Jesus is the Son of God, who being fully God, came to earth and humbled himself to take on flesh and become fully man, living a perfect life. The Lamb of God without sin, one blemish of sin on his record, not there. And he was humiliated. Notice the text. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Verse 33, Jesus was humiliated and suffered unjustly at the hands of those persecuting him. 
and he died for our sin on the cross, paying the penalty we deserved. And he died, verse 33, his life was taken away from the earth. But notice this, he rose again three days later, defeating sin and death, and now offers by his grace forgiveness of sin. Justification before God. The doctrine of justification changes everything. The doctrine of justification is not just that you're forgiven. That's awesome in and of itself. But the doctrine of justification says that God then puts the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon those who call on his name. So it's not just you're forgiven of sin. You are declared righteous and in good standing before God Almighty himself. And you have peace with him. Doctrine of justification is awesome. You are declared righteous and you have peace with God for all who repent of their sin and confess Jesus as Lord. And he offers this by his grace alone through faith in him alone. They're adopted by God, saved from the penalty of hell. That's awesome. How do you think this conversation, this chariot's going? Can you just see the heart of the eunuch just exploding? In the chariot, as Philip's just proclaiming the gospel. That's so amazing. See, today, loved ones, there are so many conversations. You ever notice this? I tried to do some statistical work on this. I like stats. But it just blew up my screen way too much. So I couldn't include them. So suffice to say, there are so many conversations we engage in daily. I was like, how many conversations does the average person engage in daily? Then I went texting, phone, email. I was like, okay, done. Email, social media, face-to-face. It's just staggering the amount of words we speak a day, isn't it? It's staggering the amount of one line. I don't even know. Does that count as a conversation, as a little one-liner? You see it. What? What? It's like, how are you? And what's going on? LMAO. I'm like, what? What is that? Like, just conversations that we engage in. But we have to assess. We spend inordinate amounts of time intentionally talking about food, hobbies, politics, entertainment, kids, families, home renos. We spend inordinate amounts of time grumbling and gossiping and complaining We have to assess how many of our conversations are we intentionally getting to Jesus in the gospel and pointing others to him. Just take an assessment of your week. If you're saved in Christ, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but you got to take an assessment, as do I. How many of your conversations are you pointing others to Jesus? How much grumbling would be ceased if we did that? Gossip, slander, complaining, negativity, cynicism. How different would our relationships look? See, loved ones, you aren't in community with the people you're in community with by accident. The Lord has shown you and has sown you and that person in that conversation by his sovereignty for his glory. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. Don't waste it. Parents, with your kids. Spouses, with each other. Coworkers, classmates, team members, church family, person at the bus stop, person in the coffee shop line. Don't waste it. Be intentional. 
See, now the unbelief kicks in. Well, what, we only have a few minutes. What could God do? Uh, 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 are you in the chariot here with him? What could God do? Just live in the text. You'll see. Ephesians 5.15, talking about our witness before the unbelieving world says, look carefully. Are we doing this? Here's another. Speak carefully. Look carefully then how you walk, loved ones. Not as unwise, but as wise. That means obeying the Lord, being intentional. Why? Making the best use of the time. Our life is a vapor. That's it. Make the best use of the time in the coffee line. Make the best use of the line time when you're sending the text. Make the best use of time when you're snow shoveling your driveway. Whatever it is. Why? Because the days are evil. Make the best. Be intentional. Gospel intentionality. Are you? God prepares the heart to hear. But loved ones, will you get to the gospel? Will you get to the gospel? Even in our conversations among church members here. How much of them are getting to Jesus? That's the mission of a witness, getting to Jesus. Who has the Lord divinely appointed around you to share the gospel with or to encourage in the gospel? Just, the gospel is not just for being saved. The gospel is for the whole journey. We need to be exhorted one another in the truth of the gospel daily, loved ones. Who has God put around you? Sure, take the time. You say, well, wait, we just go to Jesus and hey, I'm going to tell you about the same. No, 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 listen. Sure, take the time to get to know them. Get to know their likes. Get to know their hobbies. Share some meals. But hey, let's be honest. Don't use getting to know them as an excuse to back down in fear. <laughs> oh, I'm just getting to know them. Three years? Three years. Loved one. Like, I, I got to watch this too. I'm just getting to know. The, really? Don't use it as an excuse to back down in fear. Get to Jesus, the one and only Jesus. How? How do we do this? Maybe that's intimidating for some of you. It's intimidating for me sometimes. Look at Philip's example in verse 30. Look how he imitates the Savior, how he did it with the woman at the well and so many others. He asks a question. Did you see it? So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. He didn't just jump in the chair and be like, let me tell you about Jesus. He said, look at the question. Do you understand what you're reading? Can I help you with that? Can I? Maybe for you it's, wow, you're going through a hard time. How's that making you feel? How are you struggling right now? What's that doing to your family? That sounds really hard. Ask the question. Look for the on-ramp. And then show how the need they have is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Just like Philip's doing right here. Just like Jesus did with the woman at the well. You know, I'm suffering. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm walking in darkness and it, it never seems good enough and I'm trying to climb the corporate ladder. Hey, you know what? You know what? That must be really hard. That anxiety and fear. Did you know what? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he died to take the anxiety and not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. And you can live in freedom from that today. Just sow the seed. Just sow the seed. Show how the need is ultimately met in Christ. And lead them to the gospel. And you say, well, that would never work with 
Really? Really? Maybe you've already gone there. Here, I want to challenge us. You have no idea how God's prepared the heart of that person to hear and respond to the gospel exactly how he wants them to. And it's not up to you and I to decide who's ready to hear it or not, but to know that he will use it. And notice this. I love how one commentator put it this way. It's so true. Philip didn't use a canned evangelism presentation here. Did you notice this? He's not canned. It's not like, okay, I got to memorize all the facts of the, I got to get that. And then I'm just going to blurt it out. No, he's able to dialogue. He's meeting the Ethiopian where he's at and showing how the need points to Jesus. He's dialoguing with the Ethiopian. Why? Because he knows his Bible so well. He knows, oh, Isaiah 53. Here's how it points to Jesus. He knows that. He knows his Bible and can explain it. So let me ask you a question, loved ones. How's your time in the word of God? Are you growing in your knowledge of the Bible? The Bible is what preps the heart for witness by the spirit of God. The word of God by the spirit of God for the glory of God leads to faithful witness for God. The more of the Bible you know, and the more of the spirit you're in step with, the more fruitful the witness you are. This is why you can't do drive-through with God. Be still and know that he is God. And if you're wondering, so how does this text point to Jesus? How does this song? Come and ask. Ask your small group leaders. This is why we do doctrine class on Sunday nights. It's packed and it's rocking. This is why we do it. Showing how everything points to Christ. This is why we do small groups. This is why we have Hope Youth. This is why we do Hope Kids. This is why we do prayer night. This is why we have services. This is why we do counseling. And even step one tomorrow. To give testimony to Jesus. To get how everything points to him you signed up for step one, there's still time. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Sign up tonight. See, here's the key. If we aren't getting to the gospel each day by drawing near to the Lord and his word, abiding in him, how can we lead others there? You and I can't lead where we're not going. It's impossible. You can lead where you've never been, but you can't lead where you're not going. And neither can I. See, here's the truth we need to write down. Gospel intentionality in those conversations, gospel intentionality with others begins with gospel intentionality with ourselves. Because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Gospel intentionality with others begins with gospel intentionality of ourselves. Open Bibles lead to open hearts. And from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Loved ones, will you get to the gospel this week? In your own life, and from the overflow of that into the lives of others. By the Spirit of God, overflowing the Word of God. He knows his Bible well. He doesn't need a canned presentation. It's ready. In our witness, we must trust the Lord for gospel opportunities. So be ready, loved ones. We must trust him for gospel conversations in those opportunities. So be intentional. And from all of this in our witness, final point is this. We must trust the Lord for gospel multiplication and be expectant from those conversations. Be 
expectant. God will multiply the fruit of the gospel. Here's the question facing you and I. Faith, eyes of faith right here. Will you witness expectantly? Look at verses 36 to 38. Go back to the text. And as they were going along, they're in the chariot, and they're moving around, dust is getting kicked up. As they were going along the road, they came to some water in the middle of a wasteland. There just happens to be a pond. Hmm. Okay. And the eunuch said, notice the exclamation with which he says this. Don't miss it. The exclamation. See, here's water. Here's, see the excitement? Here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He's just, his heart is like, boom. He's like, there's water right there. I don't want to wait. I want to obey. I want to obey. I want to obey right there, please. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. See, after hearing Philip share the gospel in the chariot, the eunuch's heart is just blown up. And God multiplies the fruit of the gospel in this man. The Holy Spirit opens his eyes and his heart. He repents of his sin and confesses Jesus as Lord and is saved right there in that chariot on the roadway. And you may say, wait a second, there's no verse 37. Did anyone catch that? Did you notice? Where's verse 37? That's why we bring our Bibles. That's why we bring our Bibles. I love to do this in family devotions. I got my boys, I'll say, okay, sword drill. Look up uh, Acts 8.37. And they'll be like, (laughs) they get the right page. And they're going back, yeah, Caleb, you know what I'm talking about. And so here's the thing, right? Like, it's so much fun. Try it. Parents, it's great. And so anyway, there's no verse 37. But notice the superscript. After verse 36, go down to the bottom of your page, verse 37, some manuscripts, some of the early manuscripts add verse 37, and it is implied in verse 36 as you get to verse 38. So it's not adding any new or contradictory truth or anything like that to God's word. It's the same gospel path of salvation all the time. Verse 37, it says this, Philip said, well, what keeps you from being baptized? Well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, the eunuch replied, I believe Jesus is the son of God. Boom! That's awesome. Right in the chariot. Just boom. What's impossible for God, huh? What's impossible for God? I believe. He has to be baptized, and he's baptized on the side of the road. The word baptized there is baptizo, same as the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. It means to submerge in water as a public symbol or declaration of one's faith in Jesus and being united to him and a member of his church. Notice something very key here. Baptism, again, is not a means of salvation. It's a means of identification. It's a means of identification. After one has put their faith in Jesus Christ and repented of their sin, just like this eunuch, and declared him as Lord. Now notice this. It just happened to be a little water source in the middle of a desert place, in the middle of a wasteland. God, in his sovereignty, our sovereign guide, provided all that was needed for this eunuch's obedience to happen. He always is so faithful, isn't he? He provides all that's needed for this eunuch's obedience to happen. And you know what's really cool? You know what's really cool, Hope? There just happens to be a baptism service coming up soon. Hey! There just happens to be a baptism service coming up soon. God has made a way for you to take this same step of obedience 
If you are saved in Jesus Christ, but like this eunuch asked, I need to ask us today, what's preventing you from being baptized? Maybe for some of you, you've never made the confession that this eunuch just did right here. You're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may have come many times and heard the gospel again and again and again. That doesn't save you. Only repentance and faith in Jesus Christ does. That can happen today, but that would prevent you from being baptized if you're not saved. Will you turn to him today? Maybe believers, what's preventing you from being baptized? Just listen to the eunuch. What prevents me? Say, I'm fearful. I'm anxious about getting in front of people. Well, love you so much, but that's not from the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, you didn't receive a spirit of fear. You received a spirit of power and love and self-control when you were saved. That fear is not coming from the Lord. Don't give it a voice. It's not from him. It's not a reason. And some of us may be here, and I'm not good enough. I haven't been a Christian long enough. You, you live in the text? How long has the eunuch been a Christian? What, a minute, give or take? So that doesn't fly, does it? Maybe some of us, well, I was baptized as an infant, or I was baptized to please someone else, but I didn't understand the gospel. I just wanted my parents to be happy with me, and I'll be embarrassed if I did. It's not a reason, loved ones. It's time to take the step. We don't see infant baptism here. It's believer's baptism. All right, enough. What's preventing you? Sign up today on our website. We're doing interviews right now. I'm so stoked. We took the next steps with those this week. Getting ready for that. Yes. Don't wait. Gospel. But notice this. The text. Gospel multiplication doesn't stop there. Not just with the eunuch's own heart. As if that's not incredible enough. Look at verses 39 to 40. Keep going as we finish off. And when they came up out of the water. (laughs) Just highlight this next part. The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. What? (laughs) Philip. Like, just, like, angels, Holy Spirit's like, get in the chariot, okay? Now he gets the divine Uber ride. That is rocking. Philip, oh, I can't wait to meet Philip. Like, what was that like? And he'll be like, don't think about me, look at Jesus. I'm like, okay, rebuke. Like, seriously. Like, honestly, Philip. It's just, just read it. Holy Spirit carried Philip away. And the eunuch... He's in the water. Think what this must have been like. The eunuch saw him no more. He's like, where'd that guy go? And looking around, Philip's like, yay. Woo! That's amazing. The word of God is awesome. <laughs> he saw him no more. But the eunuch's like, okay, see you later, dude. And he goes on rejoicing. He's found Jesus. It's the same thing. Notice the common thing. Go back to Acts 8, 8 there in Samaria. It says, so there was much joy in that city. And here's the eunuch now rejoicing. What is a fruit of God's work in the life? Joy. Joy. Eunuch's like, whatever, that's amazing. Oh, so cool. But Philip, verse 40, where, where did he take Philip? Spirit of God took Philip to Azotus, and he passed through, and he preached the gospel. Look, this is the multiplication. Preached the gospel to all the towns. Until he came to Caesarea. See, the Holy Spirit carries Philip away. Actually, carries away means he snatches him like a robber. He seizes him. The villain comes up out of the water. Just takes him. That's amazing. That's so good. I would have loved to be there. 
and he carries him. He flies him over to Azotus. Now, what's Azotus? This is a Philistine city. It's called the modern day of Ashdod. So see, there he was in Gaza. And then, boom, he gets carried over to Azotus, Ashdod. And he keeps, what does he do? He's not like sitting around, well, I've done my thing. He goes on preaching the gospel to all the towns until he reaches his home in Caesarea, which we'll find out later on in Acts. He was from Caesarea. He's got four daughters. He's got a full family, but he's not like, I'm beelining home. He's like, I got a mission. And look what he's doing. He's, he's, he's sharing the gospel with the whole coast. Gospel multiplication. Gospel fruit multiplied all the way up the Judean coastline. The enemy in the heart of enemy territory. Do you think God could do that today? Right there. Think he could do it today? I do. I got to fight for the faith there. When you turn on the news, you can't let the news have the last word. You have to let God's word have the last word. God can do this today. Let God's word have the last word. And the Ethiopian, as for the eunuch, verse 39, notice what he does. He goes on his way. He's rejoicing and no doubt shared the gospel with those around him too. Live in the text. God saved this man, this eunuch, and he spread the gospel to the continent of Africa. This is the first missionary to Africa that we see in the Bible. He spreads the gospel to Africa. Apparently, the wasteland wasn't supposed to be fruitful. Now Africa's here in the gospel because of an open heart meeting God's open door. Guy wasn't claiming to a platform. He wasn't claiming to a vision. I want the success and the praise in Samaria. He's like, I'm open wherever and whenever, Lord. Are you? Am I? He proclaimed the gospel and this happened because Philip, an ordinary man with an open heart in the hands of an extraordinary God, in a chariot, only a short few moments together, on a road, and God sovereignly provided all that was needed for it to happen. See this? It's never just another chariot ride. Is it? Today, we don't have chariots we ride around in, although if you have one, I would love a ride. We don't have chariots we drive around in today, but there's Ubers, there's LRT most days, there's Zoom calls, there's cubicles, there's dinner tables, there's neighborhoods, there's car repair shops for winter tires going on, there's coffee shops, there's libraries, same God, same message, same power. Will you come up and sit with them? Will you get in the chariot? The gospel will never come back void. Will you witness expectantly? Do you believe God can transform a life in a moment? It's faith time. Faith check. Do you believe it? Well, it's just a coffee line. No, it's not. It's a divine appointment for you. Or that even if they don't confess Christ in that moment, like we see the eunuch here, and they may even seem to dismiss you, and reject you, which is rejecting Christ. Listen, are we expectant the Holy Spirit will sow and work the seeds of the gospel in that life in whatever way God desires to be glorified through it? You can't stop the gospel. What chariots has God put around you to climb into this week? Let's go. One more time. God is sovereign and will guide our witness. 
but we must trust him. And if we are to live expectantly with the gospel, we must remember the truth of the gospel. The power of salvation for all who would believe. And the ways we do that are with two elements. The bread and the juice. The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ, who we just heard as Philip proclaimed right from Isaiah 53. The body of Christ that was broken for us. And the juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sin, for justification before God, that we may walk in freedom and new life in him. And as we approach the communion table, again, it's never just another communion moment. Scripture is very clear. We are called to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So in these next few moments right now, loved ones, let's not be moving around and do this. Just be still. Be still. And discerning before the Lord and join this prayer right here in your heart. Search me. Just search me. Where's my unbelief, Lord? My unbelief. And then I'm going to repent because of my lack of urgency for the gospel, missing those opportunities. There's no condemnation, but let's get right with the Lord. Let's realign our heart to the Lord's I'm going to repent of my unbelief. Search me, O God. Lead me in the path everlasting, please. And as the Holy Spirit brings those things up, take some time right now. It's such a serious moment. Take some time right now to cast this on the Lord and say, Lord, give me faith. I believe, but help my unbelief. I repent. I was wrong, but I want to trust you. Please help. And if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I'm so thankful you're here, but I'm just going to say, please don't take the elements. These elements are only for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who declared, just like this eunuch, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And they've repented of their sin and confessed him as Lord. And we would love to talk with you after the service. Just come on up or talk to the person next to you who brought you tonight about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. So let's take a few moments of reflection. The team's going to play this beautiful song, Jesus Paid It All, and then we will continue to take the elements together in a few moments.